This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back. It is great to have you here. Happy Monday. Another sunny day in central New York. It's like three in a row. Kind of feel like uh, the manager for Major League. That's three in a row. That's called a winning streak, right? See if we can keep that going, baby. Spring-like weather in the spring. We, we enjoy that. All guests on this program join us on the Billy Whitaker Cars and Trucks Hotline. And our next guest is a gentleman who uh, once honed his television craft and radio magic here in central New York. He has one of the greatest Sopranos video tributes ever made out there on the interwebs, if you want to check that out. He is now a master of all things lacrosse on ESPN and is unfortunately raising his daughter to be a Yankees fan, and uh, we should add, is uh, greatly troubled at the potential shutting down of uh, Fagan's and Varsity Pizza on the Hill. Ladies and gentlemen, Anish Shroff uh, joins us on the block. Anish, are you okay? Are, are, have you are, have you checked in on this? Like, do you know what's going on with Fagan's and Varsity? From what we know, they're just going to do some remodeling. I don't think they're closing down. So breathe in a bag. It helps. Oh, that's good. That's yes. good. I, I got scared, man. I got scared. Those are my go-to places. <laughs> When I come back. <laughs> I Vegas saw that. Especially. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be a meltdown. All the SU alums on Twitter are just going to freak out. And it, that may happen at some point. They may have to, like, actually shut the places down for a year or two while they remodel in this building or whatever. But for now, you can get your pizza and your flip night and, and everything that you need. Well, you know, that's what Twitter's for. I mean, if you're not going to overreact and get worked up about nothing, what are you looking for? Oh, good transition to my next thing. How was uh, Lax Twitter's reaction last <laughs> night to all of the pairings and announcements? And I'm sure everybody was calm and rational and, and said, you know, I, I disagree with you, sir, but uh, here's my opinion. Uh, how did the reaction go to the selection show? What would you think? Yeah, I think mean, sometimes people have to realize that we don't make the selection. ESPN <laughs> has nothing to do with it. Um, it's the NCAA selection committee, so there's some misdirected anger sometimes that, you know, um, so really, I mean, and to figure that out, all you have to do is just unmute your TV and you, you can get that. Um, people really loved Villanova in the field over three teams that were better. Uh, people really got a kick out of that one. And uh, the other one uh, that, that may take off some people in central New York uh, and be honestly, I kind of agree with it. Uh, Cornell should have hosted over Syracuse. Oh, uh, I think if it was close, you go to head to head, and you have one team that won by five against the other. Um, there's a lot of flawed criteria, you know, with the selection committee. RPI, I think, is a joke. You've got Penn who went into Selection Sunday with an RPI of 14. They're seven and eight. They lost by 15 goals in the Ivy League semifinals, and I still think, you know, that Penn team is out there in the Harlem River. So, uh, you know, we kind of use RPI, but the sample size is just too small for RPI to really, uh, I think, be a credible main piece of uh, of the total criteria, and that's what it ends up being. And that's, you know, Brent, my beef is with always, I think you have to allow for a little bit of subjectivity. I get it. You know, there's no eye test, and they keep saying that. And, and I do wonder, is that a translation for we don't have to watch the games? And it's interesting in this sense, Anish, that the reaction from Syracuse fans was mostly, oh, really, you gave us the home game? Like, I don't think there would have been a huge outcry. Had Cornell no, hosted that, that to game? Me that was the easy one. Yes. Cornell had a better RPI. They had just come off an Ivy League 
title. So better RPI, conference tournament champion. And head-to-head. And oh, by the way, they beat Syracuse head-to-head. I mean, you're overthinking it. And and see, here's here's the problem. Right? If you've watched Syracuse this year, it's a flawed team. I don't think that's going out on a limb. It's a team that's young and maddeningly inconsistent. But in the eyes of the committee, getting blown out by double digits at home to Hopkins and Albany, those are good losses. Now, if you watch that game, there's nothing about those losses that are good. Nothing. But according to the committee, that's treated the same as if that was a one-goal loss. And since those are two-seeded teams and two of the top five teams, you don't really get penalized for that. So, you know, margin of victory doesn't matter. I, I think, you know, the, the reliance on numbers, I think, needs to be just a, a part of it. I think you have to allow for at least some subjectivity so you don't put in a Villanova team that essentially got in because they beat Yale in February and they haven't beaten the team with a winning record since mid-February. But on the strength of that, Nova got in, even though Nova's down three starters, but the committee didn't take that into consideration, even though that is actually some of the criteria. Injured, missing players, you take that into consideration. They chose not to. For those that don't know, Anish, who makes up the committee? Is it just a bunch of ADs? I heard John Desco mentioned before. He's been on the committee. What's the mix-up of the committee as it stands today? You have ADs, you have coaches, you know, like if you're a conspiracy theorist out there, you'll say, wait a minute, Marquette's Joe Amplo was on the committee, and there's three Big East schools in the field of 17, and only two Big Ten schools when we know the Big Ten was a much better conference than the Big East. Um, Richmond did not have to be in the play-in game. Richmond's athletic director is on the committee. So, you know, that's coaches, it's, it's ADs, um, you know, NCAA people. I mean, that's, but uh, for me, I just wish they would, I just wish they could watch the game. I mean, Quint and I and Carp were talking about it yesterday. You know, we get worked up about, oh, maybe RPI doesn't count as much this year. And then every year we go into Selection Sunday. And it's frustrating for us because, as you watch these teams year in, year out, you see a team like Villanova in. Villanova's going to get steamrolled by Duke. Put in Bucknell, Rutgers, or Ohio State, any of those three teams at least give you the possibility of an upset, a possibility to maybe play deep. Uh, the best analogy I can use, go back a couple of years when Syracuse got into the NCAA basketball tournament as a 10 seed. The reason Syracuse got in as a 10 seed not because of their bad losses, but because they had beaten Duke and they had some big wins. And it was this idea that if we're going to put a bubble team in, let's make sure we're putting somebody in that can go and beat somebody. We're talking to our friend in Shroff, ESPN. The college lacrosse bracket is out. Syracuse is a part of it. And the Cornell, and they're going to get them about a month after Cornell beat them by five that time at Cornell, and Christian Knight did not play in that game. They went with the other goalie who came in and, and kind of threw Syracuse off as a lefty. And, of course, Jeff Teat is in the conversation as one of the best players in the country. So given how well Syracuse is playing now, considering how they were playing then, but Cornell, as you said, just won their league. They're still rolling. They're still a good team. What's the matchup look like this time? What does Syracuse have to do differently that maybe they did not do the first time? They have to shut off Jeff Teat. Because when Princeton shut off Jeff T and decided to play Cornell five on five when Cornell had the ball, Princeton won by six goals. Brown, which is not a very good team, not very deep, decided to play Cornell five on five and shut off Jeff T. And they were down six to four 
with just a few minutes left in the game. And they had very much had a chance to win. Brown just couldn't score. Um, but this Cornell offense, which was leading the country in goals per game before the Ivy League tournament, against Princeton in the regular season finale and against Brown in the Ivy League semifinals, when teams shut off Jeff Teeth for non-lacrosse fans, that basically means you just face guard him, you put one defender on him, and you just deny him the ball and basically force the offense to play five-on-five. And oftentimes teams are afraid to do that because with five-on-five, you have more spacing and it may be easier for the offense to score. Well, Yale on Sunday decided, no, we're a really good offensive team. I think it was uh, maybe a little bit of arrogance, overconfidence, and they decided to play Cornell straight up. And Cornell erupted for 14, and Teeth had six points. So if I'm Syracuse and I'm looking at the last three games that Cornell played, I'm thinking, okay, if we let Jeff Teat be part of Cornell's six-on-six offense, Cornell's offense becomes Mozart conducting a symphony. If we shut off Jeff Teat and allow Cornell to play five-on-five, Cornell's offense is now a third grader playing a recorder for the first time. I love that line. I'm going to write that one down. That's a good. I'm stealing that from you, and maybe I'll give you credit for it. That is fantastic, <laughs> right there. Uh, is there a favor in this tournament, Anisha? I mean, I guess by default you pick either Maryland or Yale, but you can poke holes in either one of their resumes, and it's not too far before you get down this list. You're seeing teams with four and five losses here. So, is it truly a wide open tournament, or is that a bit of a misnomer? No, it is truly a wide-open tournament. The last couple of years, Maryland went into this thing as the favorite. They were the big favorite last year. They were the big favorite two years ago. Maryland has not played well down the stretch. In fact, so many of these contenders have just kind of shot themselves in the leg. Um, you know, in this last month of the season, over the last few weeks, Yale was just steamrolling everybody. Then they lose by six goals to Cornell on Sunday. Albany, which had been playing really well, then they suffer an injury to Connor Field, their best player, maybe the best player in the country. I don't know how healthy he's going to be for the NCAA tournament. He didn't even play in their conference tournament championship. So there's a question about Albany. Um, Duke lost in the semifinal to the ACC tournament the last time out. Uh, You know, Loyola has played well, but they lost to Bucknell just last month. Um, Notre Dame two and a half weeks ago didn't look like it belonged in the NCAA tournament and their offense went from being a black hole to all of a sudden uh, going supernova on everybody and they're now a dangerous team and I I almost look at Notre Dame as a team hey if you're going to ride the hot hand this might be the year to do that they might have a shot because they're playing well when very few contenders are Switching gears, Anish, uh, Yankees and Red Sox begin another ferocious series tomorrow. And all things considered, it is great that a series that will begin on May 8th feels like one that will begin on October 8th. This is as ramped up and as intense as the Yankees and Red Sox have been for years. And sometimes things go in cycles and one team's off and the other's on and, and vice versa here. But to see these two colliding at this point as the two best teams in baseball, I mean, you can't ask for much more than that. No, this feels like Goliath and Goliath. And, you know, me being the Yankee fan here, I'm looking at this Yankees offense. They're assembling a super offense. I think they're one pitcher short. I think they're still going to go out to get another pitcher. Maybe if the Giants are out of it, you sell the farm and you go get Bumgarner at the deadline. But you look at what the Yankees have in terms of their offensive core. All these guys are young. Um, And then Boston's got a ton of left-handed pitching, and the Yankees have a ton of right-handed power. 
Um, I, I'm, I'm loving it. I, I, the Glaber Torres kid, I, 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 listen, it's hard not to get carried away and think of another middle infielder who came up as a, as a 21-year-old. But when Jeter came up in 96, he was kind of that last piece, that missing piece. Um, he was batting at the bottom of the order for most of the year. And it was clutch hit, clutch hit, sparkling defensive play. Not saying this kid is going to go be Derek Jeter, but there is that feel to it. He comes up with these big hits, and you know what are they? Fourteen and one since he was called up, and then the Andujar kid, who's who's at third base, has had big moments. So you know they keep churning out players from their system. This isn't the, the Yankees that you know you and I used to argue over, where you know, they would just go sign that big name free agent. They have developed and drafted a lot of these guys um, or traded. Um, you know, in, in Torres's case, uh, you know getting guys from other teams, minor league systems. But uh, it, man, this offense and this team is, is, is fun to watch. You know, it, it, I can't say it's rooting for the underdog anymore. It was rooting for the underdog last year, but now they've, you know, they've gotten full Voltron again. Have they uh, put out the assignments, by the way, for the games for this weekend? Are you coming to the Dome at all, do you know, or are you still waiting on that? No, so I'll be in uh, Baltimore. I've got Loyola, Virginia, Saturday night, and then – Hopkins, Georgetown on Sunday. I do know Clark will be at the Carrier Dome with, I believe, Rick Beardsley and Chris Cotter. Oh, so, look out. Dream team right yeah, there. Yeah, so, so Beardsley may wear a tracksuit and a gold chain. <laughs> um, uh, so Beardsley comes on the show regularly, as you know, and uh, he's the only guest that requests his own uh, theme music. Do you want to take a Shocker. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, his, what did he request? Yes, his request on Friday, I'm not making this up, can't get enough of your love. Oh. He, he went Barry White on me. <laughs> he went Barry White on me. So Maybe you guys oh, can have your boy. own intro for him Sunday night on the ESPNU broadcast. Just uh, just an idea. We'll, uh, we'll give him a hard time, for sure. Anish, always appreciate your time and your perspective, my friend. Keep up the great work, and we will definitely catch up soon. Okay, see you, Brett. It's Anish Shroff, ladies and gentlemen, ESPN, former radio partner of mine, former television personality here in Central New York, and a great, great friend.